Hey, I'm Molly, and I want you to imagine this. It's 500 years ago, the year 1493 to be exact, and we are in Scotland in the King's Palace. It's a grey and rainy day, and King James IV is sitting at a huge desk in his castle and he's writing. We have no records of him actually writing anything about this, so this is kind of what I imagine he would have said. I'll put on my best Scottish accent now. <clears throat> You're listening to Sean and Curly. Since I was a wee lad, I've been truly fascinated by language. After learning English, I also learned Scots Gaelic, then Flemish, Latin, French, German, Italian and Spanish. But lately, a question has been burning in my mind. If I had learned none of these, what language would I speak? Would I speak one at all? Thus, I have devised a truly revolutionary experiment. I've arranged for two newborn babies to be taken to the remote Scottish island of Inchkeith. There, they will be cared for by a woman who cannot speak. She will bathe them and feed them, but will not sing them to sleep, nor whisper to them when they cry. They will be raised without language, without hearing the sound of another human speaking. I hope to find out whether a basic, primitive language will develop in them. I yearn to know if we are born with language deep inside us, or do we only learn it as we grow? Wow, Molly, that was a great impression of a Scottish king. Why, thank you, Carl. I am a successful actor. Do you want to hear my Scottish accent? Yes, please. Okay. In the Highlands of Scotland, we wee laddies are nine. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, Carl, uh, two things. One, that was appalling. And two, you know that wasn't actually me speaking before, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I knew that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. What you just heard was what we imagined King James IV of Scotland would have said about this experiment in the long, long distant past, over 500 years ago, in fact. So today on Short and Curly, the search for knowledge and whether we sometimes go too far. Yeah, I mean, we humans want to find the answers to so many big questions, and this curiosity is part of what makes us human. And we do all kinds of research and experiments to get our hands on that new knowledge. But when should we say the knowledge that we're seeking is just not worth what we have to do to get it? When is the search for knowledge unethical? Well, let's get back to that Scottish experiment where King James sent two babies to a tiny remote island in the middle of nowhere with just a nanny to look after them who couldn't even speak or hear a thing. All of this just for an experiment to see if they'd end up speaking any language at all. That is a pretty massive call. Yeah, but I guess he was the king, so he could do that. And it was over 500 years ago, so they definitely did things pretty differently back then. Yeah, but is it really fair on those two kids just for some weird experiment? Well, here's what our brains trust on the tiny, distant island school of Randwick Public reckon. The answers you will get from that will be if they develop language or if they don't develop language. And that research would only make a minor impact on the way we see the world. So. I think it depends on how well the babies are being cared for. If they spend their whole life there, then it's not a very good experiment. 
but if they spend like a short time there and have like lots of money after the experiment, I think it would be a reasonable one. I think it's a bit cruel to have like two babies not having a say in what they do. On the other hand, like it could also be a good thing because they could be like well known when they grow up and they could invent their own language. I don't really feel like it's worth risking two lives that can't speak. Those could have been like revolutionary children that could have changed the world and um, they've just wasted their lives and thrown them on an island for an experiment. And even if they weren't going to be these amazing revolutionary people when they grow up, they should still be allowed to live their lives, right? Yeah, and the thing that always gets me about this experiment is that we don't actually know what happened at the end of it. Like, we have no clear outcome at the end of the experiment. It just got lost in history. That's terrible. Now, okay, Carl, you actually used to be a scientist, right? Yeah, I was a geneticist. I walked around in a white lab coat and everything. So fancy. So scientists have a pretty tricky job sometimes with this kind of stuff. And I mean all sorts of scientists, the people that are trying to better understand our world, they often have to make some sacrifices to learn something new. Yeah, like lots of science actually involves testing things on living animals to see how they might react to, say, a new drug or a new treatment. And sometimes things don't go so well for those critters. Yeah, but often it's those experiments that lead us to a cure for a disease or to a brand new invention, right? Yeah, exactly. And to make sure that's balanced out, all scientists have to work under really strict guidelines to make sure everything they do is ethical and justified. Okay, but where do we draw the line with that stuff? I think you know how we can answer that question, Molly. You better pull out your giant conch shell and make the call. Matt Beard from the Ethics Centre, we have an ethical dilemma. I'm here, I'm here. What? What's the problem, guys? Wow, I didn't realise this summoning shell worked so well. Nice to see you, Matt. Nice to see you too. My conch was just next door, so I was able to hear you really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Matt, uh, we're just wondering how much we can sacrifice to learn something new, like in science or some other sort of experiment. Uh, what do you reckon? It's really hard because we know that knowledge is important and we know that it can benefit a lot of people in the long term, but we also need to focus on the way in which we're seeking that knowledge. Learning about language and where it comes from might help a lot of people, and so there might be some ways that we need to test that that would be a little bit scary and complicated. And the hard part is that the people who got experimented on are really important as well. So we have to balance two things that we think matter a great deal. Um, okay, so Matt, where do we draw that line then? It's hard to draw a line in the sand because we've got different things that we need to balance to one another. So sometimes if what we're learning isn't particularly important, we might be researching new ways of advertising a product, and that's not especially important to help people's lives. So there wouldn't be a lot of risk or harm that would be permitted in that kind of context. When we're talking about really big medical research that may, might save lots of lives, we would allow a little bit more risk and possibly some more harm to be inflicted in order to get those really, really big benefits. Woo, well, thanks again, Matt, for stepping in to sort out ethics from, well, bad stuff. You're welcome, and I'll stay by the conch if you need me again. Excellent. Now it's over to you to think or chat about this one with our first question of the episode. 
And remember, you can pause the show and have a chat about it with your friends and family, or even just stop and have a think. Then hit play again when you're ready. And the question is, is there anything we should never do in an experiment, even if we think that experiment might give us really important information? Hit pause now. Uh, Molly, you, you can put that giant shell away now. Uh, actually, no, I can't, because this shell, or to be specific, it's called a conch, is going to be really handy for where we're heading next. Uh, and where's that? Well, there's this famous book called Lord of the Flies. Maybe you've read it. And it's about a bunch of young boys stranded on an island together. Things get pretty tricky for them, and they even start fighting, so they use a conch like this one. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, when they have meetings, one of them holds on to the conch to talk, and no one else can talk until they get it. I got the conch! Ow! Jack, let him speak. Oh. He's got the conch. And you shut up. Who are you anyway, just sitting there telling people what to do? You can't hunt, you can't say. I'm chief. I was chosen. Why should choosing make any difference? Uh, so, Moll, have scientists actually done an experiment like that then? Is, is that why you're holding the conch? Have they dropped some kids onto an island to see how much they fight? Not exactly, but it's pretty similar, and it happened around the same time as when that book, Lord of the Flies, was released. Okay, so tell me about it then. So imagine this. It's the mid-1950s in the United States of America. You're 11 years old and you're off to summer camp where a big group of kids go off to somewhere a bit like our school camp, but these ones are in the school holidays. And this one in particular was out in the countryside and lasted for three weeks. Okay, it sounds pretty fun so far. Yeah, but in this case, the kids were part of a big social science experiment that they didn't even know about. Even their parents didn't realise what was happening. Whoa, my mum would not be happy about that. Okay, so tell me about this experiment. What happened next? Well, it was called the Robber's Cave Experiment. The researchers were trying to better understand conflict so as to stop it happening. Right, so they wanted to do an experiment to see how you could get two groups of children to turn against each other then? Is, is that it? Yeah, exactly. Gina Perry is a psychologist writing about the Robber's Cave Experiment. And she even talked to some of the original boys who took part in the simulation and are now quite old. The experimenters disguised themselves, so the main experimenter, whose name was Musafa Sharif, he pretended to be the handyman on the camp, but at the same time he'd be secretly observing what was happening with the children. I certainly cannot say that I knew what was going on, that I knew this was some scientific psychological experiment. I did not have any idea about that. But I thought, boy, I've fallen into some kind of a deal here. How did I get picked for this? This is great. So, Carl, these boys were kept separate from each other for the first week. And here's the totally weird part. They didn't actually know there was another group of boys at the camp. Right, that would have been a bit of a shock for them. Yeah, and when they were brought together, it was to compete against each other in a whole lot of challenges. I'll let Gina explain. One group calls themselves the Rattlers because they saw a, a rattlesnake in the creek nearby and the other group call themselves the Eagles. And so they really 
feel part of something and each group was going through that process. So when they discovered that there was another group in the campsite, they were a bit put out and a bit surprised because they felt like they sort of owned this lovely park. Now, how did the researchers try to create conflict between the two groups? Well, what they did was they put up a big chart in the mess hall, which was the room where all the kids met for meals, and it was like a picture of a thermometer. And they had the rattlers um, on one side of the thermometer and the eagles on the other. And every day they gave the group scores for different things. So, for example, the boys might play a game of baseball in the morning and the rattlers would win, so their score would go up. But what the experimenters wanted to create the conflict was to keep the groups really neck and neck so that there was a lot of tension and anxiety about who was going to win and, you know, really keep the score very close. Now, you know how when, say, children get into an argument in the school playground or on the sports field during a match, usually a teacher or an adult will come and break it up and try and fix the conflict? Yeah, go on. Well, in this experiment, the adults did nothing. And in some ways, they kind of encouraged the boys to get angrier with each other than they normally might have. Some of the children at the camp did things they never thought they would do. Another thing that was definitely out of character for me was I remember getting into a fight and I remember somehow getting a hold of a T-shirt of his and cutting it up with a pocket knife. This is so unlike me. I don't, I've never done something like this again, but certainly I did it at this camp. The results of the last contest, the time for the Rattlers in the last contest was 10 minutes and 15 seconds. The time for the Eagles was eight minutes and 38 seconds. Is it okay to make a bunch of kids fight one another without really knowing what they're doing just so we can learn a little bit more about conflict? Well, it's a great question and <laughs> I struggle with this because, you know, a lot of people say that we learnt things from this experiment that we wouldn't have known otherwise. If you look at it from the experimenter's point of view, three weeks of some boys feeling homesick and unhappy in their view, was going to be worth what they might learn in terms of preventing future conflict. I, I don't actually share that point of view. And when I think of the children in my own life, I, I would not want them to be in that situation. So I do feel it was unethical. Gina Perry, uh, psychologist and documentary maker, thank you so much. Thank you. Let's see what our own little group of test subjects at Randwick Public School thought about this experiment. Yeah, I reckon it's actually a good idea because that will determine why and how a conflict starts and then they can adjust that to the world so that the world becomes a better place. Yeah, I think it's worth it just a few weeks of 
pain and sacrifice to figure out this big answer because then you can stop many other people from going through this pain. It might even stop some civil war stuff because that could have just started from two groups having different ideas. I don't feel like a human life should be taken advantage of like that because they should have at least had a say in what they were doing in the experiment. Um, normally, like, if you have hatred, that feeling normally never actually goes away. It still, like, affects you later on in life. After the experiment, if they told us, well, like, my anger towards the other group would probably now be towards the scientists, because, like, I don't like to be tricked into things which I don't know and that are probably going to be not very nice for me or other people. And I probably also feel guilty that, like, our group was trying to be mean to and angry towards the other group and it wasn't even their fault. I'll be okay because I did something small for a greater purpose and it would have been really cool to be in an experiment like that. over to you to make up your own mind about the robber's cave experiment and whether it was worthwhile. Yeah, you've heard all the major pros and cons of the experiment, so now it's time for our final curly question for you to think about at home. And it is, was it okay to encourage 22 kids to fight one another in order to learn why we fight generally? Hit pause now. It's really interesting that our test subject said how they'd probably be okay with it because it sounded like a lot of fun to be involved in and they'd learn a lot of things. But it's worth remembering that whether they had fun or not isn't really important from a research ethics perspective because it's kind of a matter of luck. It could have gone another way and a, a lot of those kids maybe didn't have a good time. So judging our, making our ethical decision on the basis of whether they had fun or not is probably not the best standard to go on. Thank you, Matt Beard. All right, now we have a few thank yous for this episode. Oh, uh, no, Carl, stop trying to do a Scottish accent. You're I, bad at it. I, I can do this. I can do this. A big thank you to the kids I at Randwick. I am turning your mic off. You've offended all of Scotland. A big thanks to our Brains Trust, Imogen, Angelina, Vincent, Jason, Felix, Johnny, Charlie and Roman. And remember, you can go back and listen to all of our previous episodes if you haven't already because they don't go out of date. One's about fighting bullies, making friends with a robot and competing in your swimming carnival, just to name a few. All right, thanks for listening. And now for a song from my homeland in the Scottish hills, the highlands beyond the sea. You don't, you're not Scottish, Carl. Look at my wee kilt. Stop, that's so short. <laughs> and you are not wearing anything else. <laughs>